Greetings, friends and neighbors, and welcome to episode 24 of the Community Solutions Podcast, coming to you from the students, faculty, staff, and community partners affiliated with the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health in Indianapolis. I am Jack Terman, Jr., your host for the podcast and a member of the faculty in this great department. Today, we talk about a critical topic, poverty reduction strategies. The World Bank, while showing great progress in poverty reduction over the past three decades, still estimates that 736 million people were living on less than $1.90 a day in 2015. The majority of these individuals were living in rural areas, poorly educated, were employed in the agricultural sector, and under 18 years of age. Today, our students Israt and Tanya examine poverty reduction strategies via their conversation about the book The Idealist, Jeffrey Sachs and the Quest to End Poverty, written by Nina Monk. Their conversation addresses key points, including the reality that simply providing sums of money to individuals in poverty is not a simple solution to this problem, and also the important need of spending time in impoverished communities so that one can learn from the residents their needs and their assets. Finally, the critical importance of taking the time to understand all the potential consequences of one's attempts to help individuals and families living in poverty. So many times our best efforts and intentions only end up creating more problems for these valuable individuals. So please, let's start having a conversation about the need to address global poverty in ways that honor and sustain the well-being of all of those impacted. Let's join the conversation. My name is Israt. Hi, my name is Tanya. And we are here to talk about the book entitled The Idealist, Jeffrey Jeffrey Sachs and the Quest to End Poverty, which was written by Nina Monk. I think this was an interesting read by Nina Monk. She did a good job of covering the material from all perspectives. This makes sense since she is a journalist that has interviewed billionaires in the past, but then she became disillusioned by the wealth and greed. For instance, she mentioned that there was a painting done by Jackson Pollock that sold for $140 million, which was the highest price ever paid for a painting. She wanted to get away from covering the superficial stories and wanted to focus on real problems, like poverty. That is why she then spent six months reporting on Jeffrey Sachs' campaign to end extreme poverty in Africa, and then those six months turned into six years. Jeffrey Sachs is a world-renowned economist, famous for his theories on how to uplift individuals and communities out of poverty. Yeah, I think she really wanted this book to be a story of hope. So Isra, what do you think was some of the key points in the book? Well, one of the major points was that Sachs had a philosophy that to end poverty, all you need was basically a big push of foreign aid to high poverty regions such as Africa. Yeah, he mentioned that he only needed $250 billion per year, which is less than 1% of the income of the rich world. Exactly. That big push was his theory that foreign aid could serve as a footstool for the poor to be able to set their foot on the ladder of prosperity. 
Right. That's why he started the Millennium Villages Project, which was planned to be five years long. All of the donations came from wealthy major donors that donated millions of dollars, and it was established in 10 African countries. One of the locations that was mentioned frequently in the book was Dertu in Kenya, which was originally a semi-arid pastoralist nomadic community. This area had an economic baseline that was not only below normal standards, but below minimum standards. Right. The people in Dertu abandoned their nomadic pastoralist lifestyle to live on what was given to them from foreign aid. Another place that was mentioned was Ruhira in Uganda. Ruhira had small, had small farm and outdated agriculture practices, so Sachs really pushed for fertilizers, high-yield seeds, and irrigation. Yeah, health education and outcomes had improved in Ruhira by the end of the project, but increasing people's incomes is, was not as successful. Yeah, by the end of the Millennium Villages project, while there was some progress, there was still no running water, no electricity, no paved roads, no long-term jobs, lots of clogged latrines and trash everywhere. Yes, sadly, there ended up being more inequality in these small villages. Like in Dirtu, for example, the villagers had a taste of material wealth thanks to the Millennium Villages, but after the program staff left, they were disillusioned by the lack of sustainable progress. Yeah, I can't imagine how they must have felt when the Millennium Villages project was ending. Yeah, that must have been very difficult for the villagers. They were starting to adopt a certain way of life and then have all that taken away. There was one resident mentioned in the book that was able to buy and use a TV in the beginning of the project. However, near the end, she was unable to fuel the generator that powered the TV due to the high cost that she could not afford anymore. However, there was some subjective progress. Like in Dare 2, they used a number of tin roofs across the village as a sign of progress. Even piles of garbage was seen as a sign of improvement because only when someone can afford a toothpaste can they then throw the tube away. While these don't really seem like signs of progress to us, these were some tangible signs that showed progress to them. Yeah, you would think that more trash would be seen as a negative aspect, but in this case, it's not. Yeah, we take a lot of things like the ability to throw away excess goods and packaging for granted. Right. Another thing that stood out to me was that only one Starbucks coffee a year for every person in the rich world could cover the cost of 300 million insecticide-treated bed nets. These simple nets could combat malaria in these regions and save numerous lives. I think we can all afford that. For instance, I go to Starbucks maybe twice a week. Yeah, even I go at least twice a month. So donating one drink doesn't seem that hard to do. We all work on ourselves in our own communities through some strategies. The most important primary steps is conducting a needs assessment. A needs assessment is required to understand what the community needs, wants, and is willing to do. Unfortunately, when a needs assessment is not completed adequately, interventions may fail. For example, in Dertu, the livestock market failed because the pastoralists would rather travel much further to Garissa, a nearby city, and sell there for more money because time is not an issue for them. Also, the livestock market um, failed because the villagers did not want to sell their camels because there's a culture of considering camels an investment. The Millennium Villages Project also installed showers in the school dormitory, but there was no running water. In the schools, laptops were generously donated, but there was no internet. In the health clinic, General Electric, or GE, donated two machines, but there was no electricity to power them. If the planners knew about these logistics and aspects of their culture beforehand, they could have reformatted the interventions in a more beneficial way. 
Yeah, that's right, Ezra. The Millennium Villages did, however, recognize the need to increase school attendance rates. That is why they created school feeding programs that served as an incentive for children to go to school. You know, school attendance went from like less than 300 to about 700 students in Durtu. They even hired a nomadic teacher that set up blackboards everywhere they traveled. Yeah, that really showed how they prioritized the importance of the nomadic lifestyle while still encouraging the importance of education. I like how they were able to adapt their goal of increasing education. This allowed a huge group of children to be able to obtain an education. Right. I think another important step in effective interventions is building relationships with the community. However, Sachs only visited the areas a few times. While Sachs is an expert in academia, community members are experts in their own communities. There was no key informants mentioned in the book, which could have been helpful when planning interventions, I think. Yeah, without the community's input, we can never really know what the community truly needs and wants. Someone may have the perfect intervention planned out in their office, but when applied to real life, it is a whole different story. Yeah, it seems like Sachs was just trying to test his big push theory that without that with enough money, you can change a person's life and get them out of extreme poverty. He wanted to test his theory in a lab setting, which was Africa in this case, but you can't do that because real life is messy and a lot of things happen out of one's control. This unintentionally created dependence syndrome. Oh, that's when people start depending on foreign aid for daily living and are unable to sustain themselves, right? That's right. It seems like for every intervention, there are unintended consequences. Sometimes by solving one problem, you can actually create another. Yeah, that's what happened when the staff distributed high-yield maize crops, which doubled production, but they did not think about what to do with the excess harvest. Since there was nowhere to store the excess, rats were destroying them, and the price to transport and sell elsewhere was too high. So unfortunately, the extra harvest rotted. That must have been so annoying to have all your hard work just be wasted like that. Yeah, that must have been so disheartening for the villagers. I I would be so discouraged from ever trying another intervention like that again. Yeah, that's right. Another goal of the project was to train villagers to harvest cash crops and adopt a business model to gain income. The project wanted them to rise above subsistence farming and learn how to sustain themselves economically after the Millennium Project left. However, in Uganda, business is seen as a last resort, so government workers and farmers have a much higher status than entrepreneurs. Changing the attitudes proved to be difficult. Yeah, attitudes and lack of knowledge on microloans was another barrier for the villagers in establishing their own agricultural businesses. Yeah, the concept of loans was not fully explained, and therefore they were not paid back for many reasons. Some of those reasons were failed harvest due to drought or farmers spending the loaned money on other things. Yeah, I totally get it. For example, if no one ever fully explained the process of student loans to me, I would be lost. Yeah, that's why it's so important that when you're expanding something, explaining something complex to someone, you have to make sure that he or she is understanding you. This lack of explaining is exactly one of the reasons why the, why the loans were not paid back, which then contributed further to the rapidly depleting funds that the Millennium Villages had raised from major donors. You know, Sachs had a good mindset on how to fundraise. He encouraged Africa's governments to demand money from donor agencies and then demand it again and again. Yeah, that may seem really annoying, but sometimes you have to be annoying to get people's attention. 
Exactly. If no one ever asks, then no one will ever give. Yeah, Sachs also said that it doesn't cost anything to ask for money. While that philosophy is very useful, the target population should be consistent minor donors rather than the major one-time donors. Yes, definitely, because sustainability is key. The money they worked so hard to raise needed to be spent efficiently and honestly, and the way to keep track of this is by extensive accounting. Yes, that is an issue that they had endured to, where spending was unaccounted for and that could have been resolved if they had accounting staff. Yeah, that is actually one aspect the residents of the Millennium Villages complained about. They complained that there was incompetent staff working for them. For example, they had a nutritionist serving as a community facilitator. Right, having trained professionals who have been educated on a specific topic is important for effective interventions. Finally, one of the most important steps in implementing a program is evaluation of the results. However, when phase one of the project was over, it was difficult to objectively measure progress. That is probably because they did not set up control groups, so it was unknown whether the progress they were seeing was attributable to interventions by the Millennium Villages or other external factors. Even though we know that Africa is not a perfect clinical setting, we still need a scientific way of measuring outcomes, which is why a control group is so important. Unfortunately, in their final report, the Millennium Village's projects seem to gloss over the negatives and emphasize the positive results. Yeah, explaining both the successes and limitations is really important for any program. Right. It is especially important to set up how success and progress is going to be measured before the program is implemented. So ultimately, the Millennium Villages project was not the definitive answer to ending poverty, but a good model that can be learned from. That's right. For those who are listening to your podcast, here are a few key learning points you can take away from this reading to help you work in your community. First, one of the first steps is conducting a needs assessment to have an idea of what the community needs and is willing to do. Yeah, another important step is building relationships with your community. That will give you a better idea of what the community wants and will give you an inside perspective. Also, something else to keep in mind is to explain difficult concepts in a simple way so that people can understand the plan before you proceed. When it comes to funding, make sure to appeal to consistent minor donors rather than donors that will give you a large amount of money, but only one time. Again, sustainability is key. Right. Another thing to keep in mind is when looking to hire program staff, make sure that they are well-suited and trained for the job position. And lastly, evaluation of the program is important to understand the result, learn from mistakes, and make changes for the future. I think these are all great tips we can use when trying to better our communities. Well, thank you all for listening and hope you're having a good night or day. And please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family. Until next time, fellow community leaders.